Support for Houston Restaurant News Today comes from Fat Eatery. It's a holiday favorite every year. The Chinese-American menu is back at Fat Eatery in Katy. Available only through January 2nd, enjoy classic and flavorful features such as chili crab rangoon, beef and broccoli, and General Tso's chicken. Fat Eatery is open Christmas Eve and Christmas Day from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Reservations are highly recommended. Visit Fat Eatery in Katy Asian Town, 23119 Colonial Parkway. Reach Hungry Houstonians as a sponsor of Houston Restaurant News Today. Email ads at houstonfoodfinder.com for more information. That's ads at houstonfoodfinder.com. This is Houston Restaurant News Today from HoustonFoodFinder.com. This week, editor and publisher Phaedra Cook sits down with restaurateur Kevin Floyd of Shoot the Moon. Now, let's join the conversation. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Phaedra. So it's actually been almost to the day, one year and three months since I last talked with you for the podcast. And at the time, you were still preparing to get Shoot the Moon open. And of course, the the pandemic hit while you were already in that process, and that caused a lot of delays. But it did happen. So how long has Shoot the Moon been open now? We opened at the very end of July, so basically August 1st. How has it been? When customers come in to visit you for the first time, is there anything that surprises them? I think that people who are coming in that know that Shoot the Moon is Houston's first self-pour bar are surprised by the quality of our food. Um, they, they don't expect us to have the full kitchen, have the food products that we have. And people that come in because they're just checking us out, I think are surprised by the fact that we're a self-pour bar. So it's those kind of two things. Are they enjoying the experience? I mean, I've been, I visited, and I had so much fun just going from tap to tap and going, oh, I want to try this cocktail on tap. Oh, all right, I tried that. Now I want to try this beer over here. I mean, are they, are most people coming in and just having a lot of fun with it? Oh, yeah. The overall guest response has been great. I mean, I've done a lot of stuff over the years, and you, you always have some less than positive guest responses and guest interactions. But on the whole, Shoot the Moon has been the most positive guest response and guest interaction situation that, that I've ever had. Well, let's see. Let's go through it. On tap, you have cocktails, you have craft beer, you have some wines. Yeah, so we have all the things. So we've got beer, wine, ciders, cocktails, spirits. That's why, you know, we say that we're Texas's first full self-pour bar because when you see self-pour in most applications, it's either mainly or all beer or mainly or all wine, usually never any liquor at all. So we have all the things. Yeah, and when I was in, I noticed you had some very nice spirits. There was a Pierre Ferrand Cognac that I was eyeing, and it wasn't just your your kind of baseline standard. There was something special about it. It was an interesting selection. Yeah, so we you know we try to keep it balanced. There's some more approachable stuff for for people, but you know I like to throw some other stuff out there that's that's a little bit more high end or more interesting, including a couple of very nice whiskeys. Yeah, right now we've got Weller Twelve, which is really nice and usually kind of hard to find, and uh, some stuff from Whistle Pig, some stuff from Barrel, some stuff from Lafroid. It's not a giant selection because we're we're, we're limited on, on the amount of stuff that we can set up on the system, but from the for, for the selection that we have, it's it's well balanced and also has some really interesting stuff. And just in time before we get to New Year's Eve, you've added an exciting new machine, and I know you've been trying to get this for a long time. 
one of the core beliefs in in what we're doing at, at Shoot the Moon is I want I want to have a full experience. So beer, wine, cocktails, spirits, all that stuff. And I and part of that I, I think is being able to have sparkling wine. You know, sparkling wine is 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 very different from from still wine. It poses a huge challenge in terms of being able to pour that in a self pour method. And so I found the one company in the world that makes a machine that allows you to do a from the bottle by the ounce pour, which is, is great for self pour. It's also great for people who are just doing regular by the glass because we can put a, a bottle of sparkling on and it'd be good to pour by the glass for weeks as opposed to, you know, sparkling that you just open up and pour. You need to pour that whole bottle within that day. The challenge with that though, was integrating that machine into the rest of the self-pour system from a from an access perspective and that has proven to be super challenging and it took us almost eight months to get that done wow yeah i would guess that the effervescence and you know kind of needing to retain the the pressure in the bottles is tricky yeah so you know our normal still wine machines that we use to do from the bottle by the ounce on still wine uh those machines will hold eight bottles and uh, this machine it only does four bottles it's larger in size than the other machines and it was twice the cost so because you've got this this huge other component about maintaining i mean bottles of sparkling wine can be carbonated as high as like 190 psi in some in some situations and that was a big that was a big part of it too there are a lot of really good wines that you can get that you can pour on draft um, when we have some of those, we also have wines that are pouring from the bottle. The main reason why I'm doing that is because I wanted to be able to have access to wines that weren't poured on draft, but wine being poured on draft is still really, really high quality. Um, I know there's like a guest perception about it that sometimes, you know, they don't understand wine on draft. However, sparkling wine on draft is a completely different conversation. And in my opinion, there is a massive difference between pouring sparkling wine on draft and pouring sparkling wine from the bottle. And that massive dis- difference doesn't exist when you're pouring still wine on draft versus still wine in the bottle. And with sparkling wine, that has everything to do with carbonation levels. You're talking 130, 150, 190 PSI in a bottle. And on a draft system, the highest we can run a draft system is like maybe 45 PSI, maybe 60 PSI. So sparkling wines poured on draft don't have nearly the effervescence of sparkling wines poured on the bottle, which is why it was really important for me to get this machine set up so that we could pour high-quality sparkling wines by the ounce in a self-pour setting. That sounds like it's going to be incredible to try. How many different sparkling wines do you have in the system? We'll have four. We have one machine, so we'll have four. So the initial lineup is our, our house white is a sparkling Gruner Vetliner, which is an interesting presentation of that varietal, but it's it's really dry. It's really clean. So if you're just like a Prosecco or like a champagne drinker and you're looking for like a white, you know, clean, dry, sparkling, this foots the bill, but it is also something like unexpected in the, in, in the fact that it's an Austrian Gruner. Um, I'm going to have a French... Rosé, it's not. It's technically not Prosecco because it's not doc as Prosecco, but it has all of the things that would make it Prosecco, so you can call it a Rosé Prosecco. A Lambrusco, a true Lambrusco, it's going to be semi-sweet, so it's not totally bone-dry, but it's not like overly overly sweet either. I really like it. It's got a 
got, got a nice balance. And then my personal little favorite, which I don't, I don't know how, how, how well it's going to go over. Cause it is so weird is a dry hot, uh, pet knot. And, and pet knot is a, a traditional French method for making sparkling. It's kind of like the farmhouse version of champagne. So it's not as clear. It's a little bit more hazy. It's got a little bit more, you know, character. And this is from an American producer that uh, makes a really great pet knot. And he did a, a, a batch of it using mosaic hops in the barrels. And so it's kind of the, the mix of two of my favorite things, sparkling <laughs> wine and, and beer. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I think it, I think a lot of it's something that's so weird. People are like, "What is that?" But once you try it, if you're a if you're a beer drinker or if you're a wine drinker, you're going to find something in this in this wine that you really like, and it's it's super cool and super out there, but really approachable once you actually start drinking it. So I'm super excited about that. That sounds so interesting, and I hope everyone who still considers you just a beer guy is listening here. You know quite a bit about wine, too. I am. I like to describe myself as a monkey with a gun. When it comes to wine, <laughs> I know just enough to be extraordinarily dangerous. Uh, <laughs> you know, there are people that know way more about wine than I do, and I defer to them. Guys like Sean Beck and Justin Banner are significantly more savvy than I am. I know what I know. What tastes good, I know what I like. I like to find interesting stuff, but you know, uh, and I really enjoy wine a lot too. Sure. And of course, Sean Jensen worked for you over at the Hay Merchant. And then he went over to public services to work with Justin. And now he co-runs Nancy's Hustle. Yeah. And, you know, they're very, that's all very much about wine. And it's, uh, it's fun to see uh, how, how some of you have, you know, leveraged other things that you know to diversify and go into different areas. I'm going to touch on something that I'm hoping is not going to be too much of a sore spot for you, but I have to ask you, how do you feel about the fact that the hay merchant is winding down? Uh, You know, it's sad. That was that I was, I just had a conversation with someone yesterday, uh, an old regular of mine that, you know, hadn't been in to shoot the moon yet and came in for the first time and, and we were hanging out talking and, you know, he was saying, he's like, man, that that place is was such a part of it's such a part of my life, and it's such a part of the neighborhood. It's really sad to see it go. Yeah, the the I feel the same way that it's you know it, it was a huge part of my life, and I it, you know I put a ton of energy and effort into that concept. But you know that's just that's the nature of you know hospitality in a city like Houston, where the vast majority of concepts don't own, you know, the real estate that they sit on. And every time a lease comes up, it's an opportunity for them to make a change. And it's just a changing nature of, of what place like place like Montrose looks like. It's, of course, really sad for me, too, because, you know, I was there all the time. And uh, I would come in with my laptop and, and I'd be there at like 3pm for happy hour. And pop my right. laptop on the counter and get some writing done and enjoy a delicious craft beer. I had interviewed Chris Shepard for a podcast episode. And one of the questions I asked him is, do you think that things changed once Kevin wasn't there to kind of be the guardian of the hay merchant? And he said, absolutely. Uh, that that absolutely changed things because that was very clearly it was your baby. Yeah, you know, like I said, I I, <clears throat> I really enjoyed what I did, you know, with with 
Hey Merchant. And Chris and I had lots of conversations when we were talking about my buyout and my departure of Underbelly Hospitality Organization, you know, what could be done with Hey Merchant. And unfortunately, because of the the, the physical connection between Hey Merchant and at that time what we had just turned into Georgia James, you know, it was an it was it would be impossible to have split that space physically. And because yeah. we had not grown the Hay Merchant brand in the way that I I really wanted to grow it over those years and do multiple locations. There, there wasn't a lot of, of room for that. And, you know, so there just was, there wasn't a way for, for me to take that. And, and honestly, you know, the thing about, about something like Hamrich and closing too, and like I said, I don't, I don't, I haven't discussed this with any of those guys who are decision makers over there, but you know, the, the entire craft beer industry, the, the way that consumers engage with craft beer has changed significantly over the, the years between the time that we opened Hay Merchant and now. And even if I had stayed on with, with Underbelly, we would have needed to have made some changes with the, the, the fundamentals of the Hay Merchant model in order to be able to make it a sustainable business in the long term. And, you know, if there's not somebody in the organization that really has a deep passion for that and understands how that thing, how that has to happen, then it's not, it's not surprising that those changes occur. Yep. And that's actually something Chris and I talked, talked about too. And it is not the same scene as when you opened the Hay Merchant a decade ago. And it's hard to believe it's been a decade. But the cool yeah. thing is that people <clears throat> who loved, loved craft beer and they loved the selection that you were constantly curating for there now they can come over to shoot the moon and they can still enjoy what it is that you're you're choosing to serve and and that leads me to what are a couple of your favorites right now as far as beverage goes or just overall just yeah over just beverages for now and we're yeah, we'll so get into food yeah so i mean like i like i said I, i'm super excited about the about the field recordings dry hops the pet knot, you know, we just put on for sparkling. I really like, you know, beer wise, we're, we're pouring some great, like classic favorites, you know, stuff like Firestone Walker, Parabola is always great. And, it, and I can get it these days more easily than what I could, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Local favorites from St. Arnold's and from Eureka Heights and from Holler and from Brash are always great. We just put on the St. Arnold's Pumpkinator 2021. That That's great. So, you know stuff like that. I think that shoot them in is an interesting example of, of how you know the the future of, of craft beer is, which is just kind of folding craft beer into a broader program. So I still have a lot of esoteric and harder to find things. You know the BFM uh, Abbey Saint Bonchin, which is like a classic Flemish sour Flemish style sour red, uh, but also right you know right next to things like San Arnold's H Town Pills or Brash Beer, which is their Pilsner. And 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 you know, local classic favorites like Lone Pint, Yellow Rose, and some of those that you mentioned, they they were absolute unicorns, and they're a little bit easier to get a hold of now. Yeah, and then you know, wine wise, uh, we've got a lot of really interesting things. A white Pinot Noir that I pour that I really like. There's a a, a real classic, 100% Sangiovese Chianti that I pour on the red side that. I really like, and then cocktail wise, I love her. I love her old fashioned, but I also, I mean, I'm going to love a, a great old fashioned, no matter like who who makes it and who pours it. And then whiskey wise, right now I'm pouring a couple of different things, but the thing that I'm really the most excited about is the barrel seagrass. So you know, barrel is a they're not a distillery, they're a blender. So he buys all this whiskey from other other producers, and then he 
he does secondary cask finishing with them. So he, he ages them in, in different second barrels. So like rum barrels or brandy barrels or whatever. And then, you know, he'll blend them to make these you know specific profiles. And so his seagrass is a, a rye whiskey that he does in Martinique rum barrels and brandy barrels. And it's just awesome. And it's not crazy rare like you can go to you know the specs downtown or like you know any of the larger specs and in, in our total wine and you can generally find it on the shelves but it's so good and it's the whiskey that i'm pouring right now that i'm probably the most excited about and some people are like really you got uh, weller 12 you know why not weller 12 I'm like weller 12 is great but it's hard to find and the average consumer cannot find that on the shelf but barrel seagrass and barrel products and stuff like that you can always find on the shelf it sounds really good and again that's the big advantage with the tap system over at Shoot the Moon is people can just come in and just try things and yeah. be like, do I like this? Oh, I love this. Or I tried this. You know, I think I'll try something else. It's a fantastic advantage. And the incremental pours are how small? It just depends on what you're pouring, right? So if you're pouring on draft, it is as much or as little as you want, or, you know, up until TBC limits. But it, it works just like the gas pump. So the system's accurate within one-tenth of an ounce. You can pour as much or as little as you want, so you can you can get down to an ounce or two ounces. I have them toned out differently, so like the beer flows a little faster. So trying to pour one ounce of beer is like pretty hard. I mean, you can do it, uh, but then on the spirit side, you can go you know down to to a pretty small pour, and then the machines. So stuff like the barrel seagrass that goes into our from the bottle by the ounce machine, I've got the smallest pour on that is twenty five milliliter, which is 0.84 of an ounce, so just under an ounce. Uh, wow, that's so. uh, that's pretty that's pretty granular. That's pretty incremental. That's great. I had so much yeah. fun. I mean, I just I love trying lots of different things, and I kind of want to know everything. And I just had a great time just bouncing from one tap to another tap, and and being able to get a variety. It was just a great time. And then we also ordered. My my friend was just he just really wanted pizza. That was what yeah. he was into, and we ended up. So we ordered too but we started with uh, this dish that really was a big eye-opener for me and it was your black garlic bread yeah so our black garlic cheesy bread it's one of our most popular items it's one of my favorite items on the menu it's not a complicated dish it is our pizza crust it is a black garlic butter and it's our house blended cheese but so not so there's nothing complicated about that in terms of like ingredients except for the black garlic. So black garlic, you know, you can find in the store, it's fairly expensive. It's really expensive, you know, uh, when you compare it to like fresh garlic. And so from a business perspective for us, the trick to making that dish work from a cost balance and not having to sell it for like 25 or $30 is that we, we make our own black garlic. We can do that because we have a, a back pressure vacuum sealer and we have dehydrators and things like that, that we can make our own black garlic. It takes a long time. It takes like 30 to 90 days to make it, but we're always constantly making it. So we never run out. And that's just garlic that we just put through a process that takes time. It doesn't cost us anything more than just regular garlic. So that's how we can sell that for the price we sell it at. But it is a huge difference in terms of the umami and the flavor that you get from the garlic. So there is that one kind of tricky ingredient in it. And that's the kind of story of the black garlic cheesy bread is that it's just fundamentally good ingredient choices presented in a simple manner and it's just delicious. It absolutely is. And you're right. It's it's like an umami bomb. A, a hard cheese like a Parmesan is going to carry a lot of umami anyway. But the the black garlic 
gives this cheesy bread like i mean it's just like a one-two punch and it's very memorable and uh, it's definitely i always look for dishes that i crave later you know that i'm thinking about again later that's always the mark of a great dish to me and it uh i definitely i, I think about that a lot <laughs> well and then, you know and that and that dish too is a great kind of like example of of dax's culinary skill Again, it's not complicated, but you know his his ability to be able to fine tune these little subtle recipe modifications to, to to keep simple dishes simple, but still step up to the next level is what makes it really cool. And while the black garlic is a big part of that, the thing that that no one realizes because it's not on the menu because we're not going to put every ingredient on the menu is that every every one of those that comes out of the oven, we finish it with a fresh squeeze of lime. Uh, or lemon, I'm sorry, a, a, a fresh squeeze of lemon and a little bit of high quality sea salt. And it's that subtle understanding of like the balance of savory and acid that changes that whole dish into something that's like really amazing. And when I've tried that without the lemon, it's a completely different experience. And it is a, it is a small, easy, cheap little thing to add, but it takes somebody with the skill level that Dax has to be able to understand the importance of how acid plays into food to make that addition. And you just don't see that happening all the time. I think it's awesome. Yes, and he does do such a good job with it. And right now you've you've currently got a drumsticks dish, correct? Yeah, so we call it not chicken wings because I wanted to I wanted to keep the name the word chicken wing on the menu just so people could understand that that's what this dish is. That's the box this dish is checking. But yeah, it is our answer to the current supply chain issues with chicken wings. Yeah, so something like that he could treat it kind of just as a kind of a blow off dish, you know, like right. eh, it's chicken legs or it's chicken wings. And he takes it, he still takes it very seriously. It's not that Chef Dax is looking to make it fancy, but he's looking at flavors and he's looking at how, you know, what can he make this with where the flavors are going to kind of complement each other or even create a new experience. And I really appreciate that about his skill. Well, and that's the thing I love about Dax. I mean, like that, you know, I've, I've had the, the, the honor and the pleasure of working with some incredibly talented chefs over my career. And, you know, they're all, they're all very good at, at what they do. What I really like about Dax that I think sets him apart is that he, he takes a level of seriousness to every, to every dish regardless of whether it's a black garlic cheesy bread or like a, you know, squid ink pasta crazy on the other end or something like that. It's, it's all about just putting out really, really, really good food. And I think a lot of people get confused sometimes or they get caught up in this idea that really good food has to be expensive or that really good food has to use exotic ingredients which is, is true, Some, you know, sometimes, like, you know, who doesn't like truffles on anything? But you can have, if you've got the, the skill, and Dax has the skill, you can have amazing food, and it be just really simple ingredients, just presented in really smart and clean ways, and you can do it at an approachable price point. I'm, uh, I love mushrooms, and I had the deep dark mushroom pizza, and that definitely checks off all, all those boxes. I mean, really, you know, generous portion of, of mushrooms on there. And then there was a really interesting pizza we had called 
the first date and it had it actually has a fried egg right in the or an egg that's been cooked right on top of the center of the pizza yeah T- tell me about that one <clears throat> so it's called the first date because it's based on the pizza that my wife and i had on our first date which became like our favorite pizza of all time and you know we always you know we were always getting it so you know we uh, our first day was at Dolce Vita. Uh, it was also the, the our favorite restaurant. We went there all the time. It was the restaurant I, you know, we uh, that I proposed to her at, and you know I had never had pizza with an egg on it. So we, when we were on our first date, we ordered this pizza. It was called the Siciliana, and Shannon got an egg on it, and I thought that it was like amazing, and that just became our thing. And over time, we would add salami to that pizza. And it was the, the pizza we always had. Well, unfortunately, Dolce Vita is no longer there. So I, I really wanted to kind of give like an ode to, to like what I considered my favorite pizza in Houston when we were putting our pizza menu together. So I made my own version of the pizza that Shannon and I ordered every, every time we went. So it's a thin crust pizza with pepperoni, uh, Kalamata olives, capers, and an egg. Uh, and called it the first date. And it's, again, not 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 crazy complicated i mean very basic ingredients it's our pizza crust our pizza sauce our house blended cheese and kalamata olives capers and then our standard pepperoni with just a regular egg but it's how it's how we cook it and how we do it that makes it that makes it cool and makes it special and challenging getting that damn egg right on that pizza <laughs> it's like, like the hardest like the uh, the ladies who work in the kitchen—they've got it figured out now. But in in, in the early days, they were—they would get—they would get frustrated because I would get frustrated. And we finally got it worked out to where we can get the pizza perfectly cooked and the egg perfectly cooked, and it and it works out. And it's great. I mean, it gives this kind of savory, you know, delicious uh, flavor to the pizza that you you don't find uh, in any other method besides putting an egg on it. So, I was I was actually wondering when the pizza came out if that getting that egg right was tricky yeah it's it's super tricky we have to half we have to half pass the pizza and then we pull it halfway through the run and drop the egg on it and then finish the run how is the yolk supposed to be finished too it's supposed to be like an over easy egg so the white should be cooked all the way through and then the yolk should have it should have just that sheen of like slightly translucent uh, white over the yolk but when you when you hit it it should it should break i'm i'm so glad i ordered it because when that first date pizza hit the table i i love kalamata olives too and when that hit the table i was like oh i am so glad i ordered this and it's just a very attractive pizza too it's got a lot of color to it with the egg and the olives and the sauce and all that but yeah i mean like i mean our 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 pizza like i love our pizza i think our pizza is like some of the best pizza i've ever had and you know we spent a lot of time developing our crust recipe because we wanted a crust that could do all the things that could be a thin crust and could be a, a pan pizza and could be you know used for for pita bread and for our sandwiches and stuff and so you know we spent a lot of time developing that recipe and then you know our pizza sauce is is really simple it's 99% tomato and 1% salt it's just that we found really high quality canned tomato to make to make that base sauce and so it's just a it's just a hey, here's this really good ingredient presented in a simple way. And our house cheese blend is again not not crazy complicated. It doesn't have seven cheeses in it or anything like that. It's three cheeses, but finding good sources, you know, so we buy our our mozzarella and our provolone 
from an American producer that makes, you know, has really high butter fat content, makes really great cheese. And we add a little Gruyere into it, you know, especially in the pizzas. Cause I didn't know until we, after we opened, I met with a guy, he's now one of our main suppliers that they, they're, you know, they, they specify in just supplying to the pizza industry. And he's like, who do you buy your dough balls from? You know, who do you buy your blended cheese from? And we're like, you know, and he's like, who do you buy your sauce from? I'm like, we, we don't, we buy the ingredients and make it. And he's like, Oh, he's like, that's not very common. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh well, I didn't know that. You know, we, you know, Dax and I had never made pizza professionally, so we went at the pizza problem the same way we go at anything else, which was just like, let's figure out how to make it good. Not, not, not realizing that, a, according to this guy, a lot of pizza places are buying a dough ball or buying a sauce or buying a, a blended cheese that's made by somebody else. Yes, and I'm glad you brought up the crust because I also thoroughly enjoyed the texture. Your pizza gets those nice crispy bubbles on the outside, which I absolutely adore. But it's also got a nice chew to it. And And it's thoroughly enjoyable. Yeah, I won't go too far into the details of the crust recipe because it it took us months to develop and there's some... some atypical things that we're doing in there that, that make it do those things. I think, you know, classic pizza guys, if, if they, if they got to look at our specifically our flour mix ratios, they would like flip out. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing funky in there. It's all like, you know, all natural, good quality ingredients. There's just things in there that you don't find in a normal crust, uh, that really make that crust stand off. And the other thing that was challenging about that too, is that I wanted a crust cause we do have a vegan pizza. I wanted a crust that was also, our daily crust that could also be vegan. So, you know, avoiding the, you know, milk, which sometimes gets added into breads was also a little challenging. So, uh, you know, that, that, that presented it, but I'm, I'm super proud of all of our food, but specifically our pizzas, I think are awesome. I had such a good time eating them. I mean, they're really good. And, and the other dishes I tried there as well. I think the last thing that, we should touch on is I know from our prior podcast interview that from the outset your goal even though you've got this wonderful alcoholic beverage selection that will make you know the adults very happy shoot the moon is in fact a very family-friendly place yeah I mean that's that's a, a lot to do with you know where my partners and I are at in our lives. We all have kids, you know our kids are you know relatively the same ages you know uh, Dax's you know kids are you know seven seven and eight, I think maybe nine you know my daughter's five, so part of that was our our lives. Part of that's location that we're in the shoot the moon on long point is very neighborhood centric and so we wanted to be able to to build a place that we as as families, you know, would, would want to go to, but also, you know, cater to the, the people right, right around us. So I think what you might see, like, as, as we work on expanding, hopefully being able to expand STM and do multiple locations that, you know, the, the base core and everything of what STM is doesn't change. But if we were to do like an STM in like a, a more, you know, urban environment, like in Midtown or like Montrose or something, you know, to that nature, we would still have things like the kids menu and stuff like that. But that I, I think the local population probably wouldn't lend itself as much to the to, to bringing families in. So you'd probably see it shift a little bit more towards the the adult only. But in Spring Branch, it's definitely you know huge families, and so it's it's not uncommon to see strollers and, and kids and stuff in there. But on the same note, I mean you'll see a good mix of especially on Fridays at that seven thirty switchover. We've got families that are in there, but we also have a lot of younger people who are hitting up STM to to start their night, and they're going to go. You know the families are getting ready to go home. 
around that time, and then the the non families are getting ready to to spend time out. So yeah, I think it's a, a wonderful fit for Spring Branch. It's a great neighborhood for the shoot the moon to be in. Is there anything else that you would like for our listeners to know? You know, I mean, you know, come check us out. I'm super proud of all the things that we're doing at STM. I'm super proud of what we've accomplished there. It's a it's a cool experience. If you've never if you've never tried self pour, it's it's a great place to to try that out. And you know, come come check us out. It's a, it's an awesome place to go have a drink and have a bite. I also recommend go check it out, folks. I had a wonderful time there. Kevin, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And good luck with Shoot the Moon. Cool. Thanks, Fader. I appreciate it. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for listening to Houston Restaurant News Today. To learn more about Kevin Floyd and what's going on at Shoot the Moon, visit HoustonFoodFinder.com. To become a sponsor of this podcast, email ads at HoustonFoodFinder.com. Join us again for Houston Restaurant News Today. Support for Houston Restaurant News today comes from Fat Eatery. It's a holiday favorite every year. The Chinese-American menu is back at Fat Eatery in Katy. Available only through January 2nd, enjoy classic and flavorful features such as chili crab rangoon, beef and broccoli, and General Tso's chicken. Fat Eatery is open Christmas Eve and Christmas Day from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m., Reservations are highly recommended. Visit Fat Eatery in Katy Asian Town, 23119 Colonial Parkway.